You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So there's a lot going on right now. Um, obviously, we've got some more insights from the pro football focus folks. Um, the MVS stuff has spiraled out of control. I, I very briefly touched on it yesterday, just kind of glossing over, look, it doesn't make sense to to really just get mad at MBS or whatever, but I didn't realize the extent to what that had become. I didn't realize that some Packer fans had lost their minds, which I shouldn't say lost their minds. There are people that are out of their minds that react a certain way. Um, And then obviously we had a Packers reporter make a pretty stupid comment, which was after he had put out a pretty stupid tweet. I'm not going to pretend to know who that person is. Um... I've been pretty open about the fact that I don't really, I mean, obviously at this point I'm starting to get an understanding of who people are, but let's say I do a bad job of keeping track of of reporters and whatnot, who does what and personalities and all that, but the general gist I got is that there are several people that have already somewhat disliked this guy for a while, so I'm guessing this was a little out of character, but, um, you know, if there was a poll in terms of who do you think would say something like this, there's probably about three or four that would have come up, and I'm guessing he'd have been one of those. I don't know. I'm just judging based on what happened. Unfair to judge? Yeah, probably. But, you know, what's he going to do? Call me out on it? <laughs> it's one of the things I always have to struggle to remember is no matter how many people listen to the show, and as much as I feel like it's the same group that shows up every day, it's not. There are a lot of people that I've upset that have left, and then there's a pile of people that have showed up that are new. And I need to remember, there are new people in town. And um, I'm sure there have been numerous times new people have shown up, and I'm on some rant about aliens, and they never came back. First impressions matter, and my first impression of this guy was calling MVS uh, dumb and asking his coach, how do you live with him? It's crazy. Um, I don't want to pile on too much, because I think we've already done that. I've mentioned several times. It gets to a tipping point where dude's getting beat up enough that it would be in my estimation, more immoral to jump on the guy than to uh, not say something about it. So I'm going to leave it at that. But here's a a message to to some people. As somebody who uh, was in the camp of being way, way, way too emotional, I think we all can be extremely invested, but some of us can take that to destructive heights. Because I'm not not, going to appeal to you in terms of this is a human being. I... Listen, you got to stop doing that. The people that are sending death threats, they know they're human beings and they don't care. That's, that's not helping the situation. But here's my thought. For those of you out there that are like me, but maybe take it a, a, a half step further, forget other people. This is a horrible reflection on you. And I'm not talking about what the world sees. Forget the rest of the world. The person you see in the mirror, it's not strength to go out and scream and swear. That's that's the misconception. If I go out there and I'm, I'm, I take all this emotion and I project it as anger, then I still seem tough. So I take my righteous indignation. I have a right to be upset because they're a bunch of losers. And I'm like hyper-masculine, and this is how hyper-masculine people handle, like people that disappoint me. Nobody buys it, dude. And you shouldn't buy it either. 
It's 100,000% weakness. This is just how you handle an emotional breakdown. To give you an example, this is always the reason I've said I can't stand Eminem as the rapper. I just can't. He, to me, is the weakest, softest person in the history of the world. I think it's absolutely pathetic that the guy cannot get over the fact that he got cheated on. Like, that's, that sucks. But the extents that he's taken it to and the years of whining about his ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, whatever, look, at some point it becomes weakness. And for me, it was the point at which you started threatening to kill her because that's your daughter's mother. And that makes you a bad parent. And you're willing to say those things about your daughter's mother because she hurt your feelings to that extent. Now I don't feel bad for you anymore. Now you're a piece of crap in my mind. And I know it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's rap, dude. It's, it's all being hard. But that's not hard. That's weak. Hard is somebody cheats on you and you shrug and go, cool, dude, bye. And then through a series of decisions you make, they end up hurting, not you. When you sit there and cry in the corner and scream, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I hate you. That's not strength. Even if you pretend you're not crying and, and turn the crying into like screaming and anger. We all see through it, dude. Eminem, you're, you're, you're hurting. You're soft. You're weak. I get it, dude. I just don't want to hear it anymore. And maybe that was, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't listened to him since. I know he's still out there whining about other stuff, but I, I just, it's just, that's just my impression of it. And I think it's weak. And I think a lot of the people who are ranting and raving on Twitter, look, there, there are good arguments you can make that are in the negative. I'm not saying if you don't you know, because that's that's the argument you're going to hear. Also, if you're critical of the team, then you're weak. No, no, no. You can be critical and be an adult. There's no way in the world that you can't see the difference between you and what you're doing with irrational arguments that don't make sense, screaming and ranting and raving, attacking everybody in your path. Anybody that's ever said they like the Green Bay Packers, you're calling them, a, you know, swearing, calling them an idiot, a moron just leaving a destructive wake trying to hurt absolutely everybody that's a Packer fan because you just can't control yourself. That's weakness, and you know it. You can't control it because you're soft. That's it. And I've talked about it several times. There was a breaking point for me, and it was the infamous Seattle game. And at that point, losses, I was just inconsolable. I never lashed out and hurt people, but I was just kind of an immature child. I still live with grandma and grandpa. I just would stomp around the house, like, don't talk to me. Like, I would get mad and be like, dude, I'm not kidding. Do not talk to me. And grandma would have to be like, dude, chill. In that game, I collapsed on the floor. This is before I was married, but I was dating my wife. I believe that was the case. And I remember laying there thinking, I can't do this, right? She doesn't even like football. She's here hanging out. My grandma's trying to hint to me very strongly, please don't be an idiot right now. And it just occurred to me, like, you can't do this. You, you, don't, you don't really have the right to be a baby. You have to be an adult. You have a life. You need to get up off the floor, be a man, and go about your business. Because if a stupid game hurts you this much, you're a pathetic human being. Period. So I gave myself a little bit of time, and that's what I do now. I give myself a few seconds to process, and I have to move on. At this point, I got four kids and a wife. I don't have the right to say, I just can't right now, and storm off and go hide in the bedroom. There's stuff to do. I got kids to take care of. There's a baby that, that's crying, and as long as my wife's holding the baby, she can't take care of anybody else. I don't have the right to say, you take care of the kids. I just can't right now. Grow up. And if you don't have a wife and kids, cool. But guess what? You're just not mature enough to be an adult at this point if you can't handle stuff like that. If you're still ranting and raving, and I just can't. You gotta, you gotta figure it out, man.
when when MVS fumbled, I yelled real loud. I made my baby cry, and I scared my three-year-old. I let myself have that. I yelled, and then I threw my head back, and I sat there for about five seconds, and I said, all right, darn it, and then just, you know, whatever. I got stuff to do. In fact, I'm now doing post-game shows with uh, Brady over at Green Bay Packer Nation, the Facebook page. So I can't pout. I have to go to work. I have to try to process my thoughts and try to put them together in coherent sentences without just screaming and swearing and calling people names. Because that's what, that's what life is. It's about being an adult. And the amount of messages I get and I see on Twitter, it's just, I mean, it's not even that I'm angry. I just, it's, it's you look pathetic. And I'm tired of seeing weak, soft people that can't control themselves. It's pathetic. I'm not scared of you. Nobody's scared of you. Nobody's threatened by you. And certainly nobody's impressed by you. You have a false perception of what you're putting out to the world. And you have a false perception of what you are. You're lying to yourself and you're believing it. And you need to knock it off. You know that you can't help it. You're soft and you're weak and you need to man up. And I'm fine saying man up because I've never in my life seen a female act like this. Men and women are different and this is one of the differences. Men can be complete morons who can't control themselves emotionally when it comes to stupid things like football games. I made my wife cry because I said I, you know, we had an argument about bread. That's, that's, you know, guys probably wouldn't cry in that situation. A conversation about bread. But you get a football game on and they threaten people's lives. You know, horse apiece. You got, I mean, again, look, I, I, it's, I'm not appealing to you to, to be nice to people and they're human beings. I know you don't care, but you got to figure it out, dude, because that's not a life anybody, I mean, what, what, what good are you to anybody, including yourself, if that's the kind of person you are? I'm not going to out you on Twitter. I don't like doing that stuff. I'm not trying to drag you. I don't want MVS to release names. I want you to change. I want you to be better for your own sake, for everybody else's sake, because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing you. And there are a lot of people who have driven me nuts that have like come around and they don't act like that anymore. Cool. That's perfect. That's exactly what should happen. Keep coming at me. Let's keep talking. Let's see if we can straighten this out. I'm not going to out you in front of everybody. Because that's all, all that's, listen, to everybody else, all that's going to do is entrench them. Once you out them as the bad guy, they can't go anywhere else. Look at Mr. Reporter trying to come out and be like, look, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And look, maybe it's fake. Maybe it's just because his job threatened him and he had to do it. Maybe, I don't know. But let's allow the guy to change. If we can't let people change, we're never going to dig ourselves out of this hole. Don't drag the guy. I'm not saying all has to be forgiven, but if we don't let him come out of the dark side, then we force him to stay in there. And it seems like sometimes we want that, and I think that's pathetic too. Let him come off that team and come to our team. We don't want anybody to be on the other team. Let him leave so that he never asks those questions again. And I don't want him to do it just because he's afraid. He shouldn't be afraid. If he wants to be a jerk, let him be a jerk. And then he can go and get fired and live and be a miserable jerk somewhere else. But if people want to change, let's let them change. Because that's the other reason people don't want to change, because they feel like they can't. And you know that feeling. You want to be a different person, but you know what am I going to do? I show up to work and I'm a different person? People are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You feel like it's weird, so you just don't change. Let the man apologize and go on about his business. I didn't say you have to like him. Just stay out of the comments of his apology. We're not interested in your thoughts on it anyways. So, I don't know. Again, the best way I can put it is projecting strength is weakness. Projecting weakness is strength. Right? If you slam your finger in a car door and then punch your wife, that doesn't mean you're tough. If you slam your finger in a car door and walk off like nothing happened, that's what toughness looks like. Same applies just about everywhere else. If, if you watch a football game and it hurts you and you walk off like nothing happened, that's strength. Despite the feelings you have in your tummy. Because we all have the feelings, it's what you do with it. When you have the feelings and you walk off like ain't no big deal, that's, that's actual strength. If you smash your television, it makes for a hilarious 
video on YouTube or Twitter or TikTok or whatever. Like the guy that literally shot his TV. They always seem to be Cowboys fans too, which I guess makes sense when we're talking about weakness. But that's why, I mean, it's just, you can't handle the feelings in your tummy, and so you lash out. That's weakness. Are we, we good with this now? You get where I stand on this. So when you come to me screaming and swearing, I don't see you as tough. I see you as soft. I just want you to know that that's, that's how I, I and the rest of the world see you. So do what you want to do. Act accordingly. If you want to broadcast to all of Twitter, I'm weak and I'm soft and I'm hurting and I can't control my feelings like a little, little, little teenage girl, feel free to broadcast it to the world. But just so you know that's what you're doing, I'm, you know, cool. So we're on the same page. All right. So there's my thoughts on the MVS situation. It's a little different, right? I figure it's no good to come on here and just say what everyone else says. Shouldn't hurt people's feelings. He's a human being. Mental health is a serious issue. I mean, you know, it's true. It's been said 75,000 times, so I don't feel like I need to add to that. It's good to see MVS is uh, handling it well, which, you know, maybe it's, again, maybe he's just projecting strength, despite the feelings which he no doubt has inside his tummy, right? And I don't mean to say that to be demeaning. It's just he's a grown-up and he's a man and he handled it like it. That's what strong people do. Shake it off and you move on with your life. Anyways, for the fifth time now, moving on. Okay, last comment. <laughs> last one. Just because I, I never want to pass up an opportunity to bring up Steven Seagal. The reason he's always been one of my favorite like martial arts movie guys is because of his demeanor in the movies. He was never, like people make fun of him because he doesn't look like a fighter. I love that. He's just a dude. In all of his movies, he's just a dude. He's very soft-spoken. He whispers through the whole movie. I know he's kind of a, a, a doof in real life. Like, I've heard stories of guys a little, little goofy. But he is legit, first of all. You don't think so? I would love for anybody talking trash about Steven Seagal to walk up and, and try to do something. Like, just, just punch him in the face. Guy's like an eighth-degree black belt and, like, the only white dude who's allowed to teach in Japan. And he's, like, six foot seven. He would snap your arm in half. Not to mention he's an expert swordsman and marksman and has trained dogs. I mean, it just, there's, there's no way this guy can't kill you. I mean, he's got 15 different ways at any given moment. But but that's that's the thing, right? It's when there's a confrontation, his demeanor is always I'm basically begging for your life right now. Like, come on, dude, you you need to stop. I'm I'm telling you, you need to quit. The people who are scared are the ones with the tap out shirts who are trying to pick fights in the bars all the time. That's not strength. All right. Now I'm done. Now I'm officially moving off the MVS thing. I'm sure most people won't change because they literally physically can't. They're incapable. But it's like uh, it's like any other muscle, right? You're the dude at the gym who's got chicken legs, and your emotions are your legs. And you just, you know, you got to start squatting a little bit. Do some emotional squats. Start with small challenges in life and try not to cry, and then move your way up to uh, football games and try not to cry. Doing emotional push-ups. You can do it. We believe in you. All righty. So it was in the news that uh, the Green Bay Packers, and I think that, uh, what was it, the Ravens or something? I don't know. We tried to sign Snacks Harrison off of the practice squad. There was very little chance of that working, mostly because the arrangement has already been settled. Uh, Snacks has already agreed to play for Seattle. It's worth a shot to call and be like, hey man, you want to come work for us? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm in Seattle. I came here for a reason. I already said no to you, but thanks. But it it, it speaks to the larger point of the way... Mike Patton, and it's, I get that it's frustrating. I think everybody's frustrated, and I'm 
I'm very excited about the comments from Matt LaFleur being very open and honest about certain things, but it's becoming very clear the way Mike Pettin likes to play. He likes playing heavy DB. He likes playing coverage. And the, the main point of his scheme is that we need everybody to cover. And when it comes to running the ball, it really comes down to the front four. Now, you can say linebacker, and that's that's relatively true, but look what they've done in the draft and whatnot. It's always athletic coverage linebacker. The priority is being able to cover. The idea being, and, and again, we've we've talked about this with Coach Hahn's video, and, and just in general, the way more modern defenses, whether it's 4-3 or 3-4, you, you set it up so that you've got a free runner. In other words, if everybody does their job, especially the guys up front, the linebackers should only have to run really fast and make a tackle. So the days of being like a Ray Lewis, like you've got to take on that fullback and just knock his head off and then go make a tackle, that's not really the way things are set up now. It's about numbers, it's about assignments, and, and the guys up front especially, if you're taking on double teams and you've got the the athleticism and the strength to get to where you need to be and to do what you need to do, the linebacker should be able to just run to the to the running back and tackle him, meaning speed again is, is more important than anything else. So, so the linebacking aspect as much as we look at it and say it would be really great to get a really good linebacker and maybe it's not the worst decision in the world because then it could kind of you know if you get a a two-way guy like Darius Leonard who's a really good running uh, linebacker as well as coverage linebacker it's going to help to be able to to compensate but even now as we look at it Mike Pettin is still looking at this as I don't want to have to bring in more heavy personnel I don't want to have to bring in another linebacker one should be enough we need guys up front to be dominant. Now, if we choose not to move on from Mike Pettin, that makes it very clear to me that one of the priorities going forward, as weird as it sounds, is probably going to be along the defensive line. I've mentioned a thousand times, I mean, when we first brought him on, the fact that we had Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark and, and basically the rest of the defense was pretty pathetic. One of the only things we didn't need was defensive tackle. And the first thing we did is, is free agency is go out and get a defensive tackle. That's when it became very clear how important this was. And then I learned a little bit more about the scheme and how it works. And it was very clear that winning up front is extremely important because then you have the flexibility of having, you know, I mean, we can have five DBs on the field. You've got the two boundary corners, the slot corner, your two deep safeties, and then a safety playing linebacker. Did I say five? That would be six, which would be dime defense. It gives you the ability to to primarily focus on coverage, which is the most important thing a defense can do is cover, and really just rely on the front to be able to to handle 90% of the, the running stuff, right? To, to clog things up, to win up front, and then the linebacker, again, he just comes in, if, he, if he's even needed, to just come in and play cleanup. Unfortunately, it's it's almost always dependent on the linebackers because, I mean, if guys just do their job, which is, you know, I mean, just do their jobs, you, you need to get the linebacker involved. It's just a numbers thing. The only time you don't really need it is what you see against the Packers all the time, where the linebacker isn't really needed because the guys up front just clog things up so badly. They destroy the offensive line, they just bottle things up, and then there's nowhere to go. And I think it would be really nice if we can get to that point, and that's how Mike Pettin largely sees it. Now, I think most of us are saying, yeah, that's cool, or we just bring out another linebacker. And um, one of the things that I do like about, and I know it wasn't directly about that, but Matt LaFleur has been very open about certain things. Certain things it's very coach-speaky, and certain things um, he's willing to open up on. And I will say, I've talked about how I don't, uh, and maybe I brought this up already, I don't follow everybody, and I, I don't listen to press conferences as religiously as I should, mostly because they happen at work, and it's like i got to remember to go back and find it somewhere, and whatever. But I think Aaron Nagler might be one of the better question askers 
of all those guys because he just gets some really good answers out of the coach. And I thought the last question he asked that I heard was one of those where you, I mean, it was, it was a high risk question because it runs the risk of really upsetting the coach. So you got to work on your phrasing and whatnot. But he talked about the, the soft coverage. And, and again, you know, I mean, he, he went on to say how, you know, it's, you guys are constantly running this type of defense and it's not working. And Matt LaFleur, to his credit, came out and said, yeah, we, we actually just got done talking about that. And, and essentially, and, and Nagler highlighted that exact video that I talked about yesterday on the podcast, and I retweeted it to show you which one I was talking about. It's not just that it's soft coverage. It's not even, it wasn't even so much the coverage call, although I don't like those types of coverage. I don't like the concept of on third and 19, you give them 17. I don't like that. But if we're going to do it, especially, let's say you're, you're on their 20. They're not going to go for it on fourth unless it's, you know, the, the game-winning drive. In that case, fine. But the problem was we had three guys that if they were just more aggressive, they could have got the stop. But they were all dancing. They were all worried. And, and I get it because sometimes they're too aggressive. And then you got a guy like Dalvin Cook who breaks a guy's ankle and goes for 20 instead of just being cautious. But when you got three guys and he's bracketed, one, you know, Kevin King's directly in front of him, and the, you got two guys on the side, converge, please converge. If nothing else, Kevin King needs to go get him and let the other guys play. You know, in case he misses, they can clean up. But all three of them kind of just stood there a little bit and were like, oh, 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 just enough to give him the first down. And and you know, more and more as you see these clips, uh, there was another clip Aaron put up about Kamal Martin. It was a great clip of him just beelining and smoking a guy. On that same play, I don't know if it was Amos or Preston or who it was. I couldn't quite catch the number, but he there was a guy who was already standing there. He was two yards away. Kamal Martin was was probably seven yards away. Kamal Martin made the tackle because the other guy's doing the whole whoa, 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 whoa thing. Kamal just said, "Forget this," and just went after him. And this is where I've talked about several times how forty time it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does, but what the heck does forty time matter? Why, why does Kevin King running a four four two matter if he's not going to run at people? Right, we've seen Savage, and by the way, I've been impressed with Savage lately. But what, what really does it matter if your even just your reaction time is not super fast? And that is, I think, where I'm really starting to appreciate Kamal Martin. I'm sure there are nuances where you'll look at it, kind of like we look at Lindsley and say he's a great blocker. But there are these certain situations, you know, especially when he's got to reach the linebacker who's a really fast linebacker, and he can't quite get there. That's where you start to see a really good player and his limitations, and you say this is where an elite athlete would actually be better. I think you could probably get that with Kamal. There are probably going to be situations where he just doesn't have the physical ability. But but the more I watch football and the more I start to analyze stuff, I'm realizing it's not really about that. In certain situations it is, but if you just get a guy that's going to go full out and is really smart and just does what he needs to do, you know, I mean, again, Kamal Martin, if he just runs in the right direction at the right angle with 100% intensity, gets to the guy, wraps him up, and brings him down, right? Good tackling, good decisions, no hesitation. If you can get that out of a guy, you're going to love the guy. Blake Martinez was a great football player, but he just hesitated too much. He sat and thought all the time. If he was attacking, oh my goodness, he would have been a great... I mean, he, he didn't miss tackles. Great tackler. I thought he was a really good football player. The biggest issue I had with him is he was too hesitant. And if that's coached, then, you know, whatever. But that, that was the one issue with him. And that's, I think, one of the big issues with a lot of these really fast linebackers, the 4-4-4 linebacker. It's a very cerebral thing, too. I mean, and just, you know, being able to run somewhere is great, but if you're hesitating, it doesn't matter. The guy that runs a 4-6 beat you there because he diagnosed it and he ran quicker. 
And again, that's one of the things I'm liking about our linebackers in general, but especially Kamal. I mean, it, maybe he got an extra two yards, and if you had 4-4 four, four speed, you would have got him a little bit early. At this point, I don't care. In the grand scheme of things, I don't care. If that's even true, I, I just want a defense that just commit, that just swarms, that just attacks, that isn't so scared of getting beat. It seems like Pettin's energy is just rubbing off on his defense. Pettin plays, plays scared. Pettin's worried about giving up the big plays. Pettin's traumatized by that Detroit game last year where like the first two games were, or first two plays were like 40-yard touchdowns. They're just traumatized by these things. And yeah, it was bad, and, and they're doing a good job of cleaning that up. You don't see that as much anymore. But this, this constant playing with fear and playing off and you know, the pass rushers aren't playing as aggressive and the corners aren't playing as aggressive and the tacklers aren't tackling as aggressively. It's painful to watch. And that's why we all really appreciate when you see guys like Raven Green, and I've talked about it a thousand times, that, games where he, that game where he was the most targeting got picked on several times. But I don't care. That was a beautiful game in my mind. Because there were about half the other times Raven was right there. He played aggressive. He broke up pass. But he's also in there and he's tackling. He doesn't hesitate. He goes after people. He tackles people. He's physical. We saw this last week where he went in. Brilliant play, by the way, where he went straight for the ball. Why? Because he was already being tackled. He's already going to the ground. His number one priority, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to punch the ball out. He did. He punched the ball out, fumble, recovered by the Packers. Beautiful play. And I think Kamal Martin, just he's just that kind of guy. I think Packer fans are going to, and, and you know, I didn't like the pick at all. And I'm not even saying he's a good football player overall. I don't think he's graded out very well via PFF, but... I appreciate it because the the that energy just needs to be there, and I want a guy like that on the defense to bring that when nobody else will. If we can find an upgrade, cool. It's same with like MVS. And I know it's kind of probably taboo to to talk about him not being around, but you know I I can appreciate what he's doing and the style that he brings and the fact that he's been the only spark the last two weeks, in my opinion. I mean Devonte does his job as well with with sparks, but. But also acknowledge maybe there are better options. Maybe we can get an upgraded MVS. Maybe at some point we get an upgraded Kamal Martin. I don't know. I don't care. But but the point is I can still appreciate what they're doing right now. And so yeah, I'm I'm all about. I'm you know I'm glad that they're trying to get snacks or whatever. But at the same time, it still just feels like that's Petten refusing to bud. That's him saying yeah, that's cool, Matt. Uh, maybe we'll bring in a linebacker or, or not play so soft. Uh, or we go after snacks again. And we try to get this defensive line to be the best defensive line in football. And again, he's following the mold of a lot of very successful defenses. But, you know, there, there has to be some flexibility and adaptability. And at this point, Mike Patton is just, he reminds me of Mike McCarthy. I mean, 2018 Packers was one of the most frustrating things I, I think I've ever seen. And one of the frustrating things, as I've talked about several times and, and talked about ad nauseum at the time in 2018, was how frustrating it was that that the team refused to change their scheme, they refused to change their attack, they were constantly attacking down the field, four verticals, non-stop, it wasn't working, and then they go to the podium and say what? We need bigger plays, right? We're trying to force-feed Devontae, force-feed Devontae, force-feed Devontae, even though he's the only, he's triple-covered, everybody else is open. And we hear, we got to give it more to Devontae. Just the complete inability to acknowledge, no, that's not what we need right now. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, we'd like that, but the fact that you're obsessed with it is the reason we're not getting it. If you just keep trying to go deep, 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 defenses are keying in on that. You're going to be able to go deep when you start focusing on, uh, when you start hitting short to intermediate passes and when you start getting the run game going. That will open up the deep ball. But we just refused. No, I, I just want to win. I, I Again, Mike McCarthy was all about just win. I don't care. I don't care if, if, if they know we're doing it, win. I don't care if you're double covered, win. This is, I said this is what I want, and I, I expect you to just be able to do it. 
And that's, that's petting. And that there's a, a certain pride and arrogance in coaches, I think, sometimes in saying, look, this is the best solution. Guys just need to execute. And to an extent, that's true. And I'm sure you can go watch the tape and say, you know what? Yeah, that's true. They should have executed. But that doesn't mean you should be calling that play. If your guys aren't executing, maybe it's time to mix it up a little bit. And, and I think one of the things to consider that I've had conversations with other people I've, I've talked about is the motivation of the defense, the psychological aspect of the scheme, which sounds ridiculous, right? If we just are X's and O's, we look at it and say, here's the play, it was a good play call, and if they would have executed, it would have worked. Cool. But think about the psychological aspect of telling your team to back off, as opposed to telling your defense to go get them, right? Even if you're leaving yourself exposed, even if last year we gave up a lot of big plays, look at how, the, how differently the defense played. What is the psychological impact of telling Preston, Zadarius, and Rashawn, I want you to just go get them? We're going to give up bigger plays, and that's going to be frustrating. But I want a fired-up defense. I want an angry defense. And by the way, and, and, and somebody else brought this up yesterday, he doesn't trust his guys to just simply play man coverage out there, and so he, he wants to always bring all this help and stuff. It's going to be a confidence boost for, for King and Jair and those guys, too, to say, look, I'm leaving you out on your own. You handle your business. They're going to love that. They don't want to be babied. None of these guys want to be babied. They don't want to be in dime defense. Go play, go play, uh, go play eight in the box. We got this. Teams, defenses love that. Everybody on defense wants that. We're going to attack the quarterback. We're going to leave the the DBs on an island. The DBs love it. The defensive line loves it. Linebackers are going to love it. Don't. Pl- defenses want to play offense. That's it. They don't want to be seen as playing defense. They don't want to be seen as just guarding a goal slowly working our way down the field trying to outthink the opponent let's tr- i mean that's what dropping preston in coverage is that's the only thing is it, it disguises what you were doing and it, it messes up your quarterback and it, it works if you can get pressure if you wanted to go this way because you think this guy's not you know you're, you're looking at the way things lay out and you say he should be open and then you see preston drop and it's like oh no there's a guy there except he's not thinking oh no there's a guy there he's thinking well he's going to be open anyways so he throws it that direction anyways and there's no pressure coming so he's got all the time in the world to throw it in that direction so he can wait a half a second for him to come a little bit more open it just doesn't work we're trying to be smart we're trying to be cute and at, at the end of the day i think there's there's a psychological aspect to think of where maybe you're doing something that's somewhat counterintuitive. That's a less desirable defense to run in this spot. We shouldn't be doing that. The numbers say, the statistics say, my experience says we should be doing this. I get that. But I, I, I'm not kidding. I think there is there is a psychological aspect to consider. I think you, you, defenses, all defenses, not just the Packers, they, they, they're very mood-based. They're very energy-based. And when, when the energy's up, things go really, really well. I mean, you look at the Legion of Boom. Really talented football players, great defensive scheme and all that stuff. But I think part of the the swagger is the fact that they knew they were good. They knew that they were violent. They knew that offenses were scared of them. They knew they were going to go out and hurt people. And that just that just fed that fire. And again, right now the the, the message to the Packers defense is we're we're playing defense. We're not going to be aggressive. We're you know the edge rushes. Your number one job is to hold the edge. Don't let them gash us around the edge. And that's important. It's true. I'm tired of seeing it. And they're doing better, and that's cool. But I just I think it's it's damaging the libido of the defense. They're being emasculated, and that's not the intent. It's it's just you know they're Matt Lafleur and Mike Pettin and all these guys are thinking about the correct logical cerebral answer to a question, and they come up with the right answer maybe, and then it's just, they just go back to the tape and say, look, it worked. You guys didn't execute. I need you guys to execute. Let's let's come on now. Go make the tackle. Be a little bit more aggressive there, please. If you can kind of get up there, and there you go. I, that, that, it's just my opinion, is all it is. 
Uh, if nothing else, I'd like to see it re- release the hounds. And, and again, understand that that comes with risk and understand that comes with those big plays coming back. But I'm, I'm personally, I, w- I would at least like to try it. Let's do it against the Bears. If it's not working, we can back off and there's a good chance they won't get in the end zone. Right? Because, I mean, they're just, they're really flawed. That's a team that's going to have a hard time running up the score against you anyway, so let's try it. Anyways, just a thought. Why don't we take a break here, because I haven't even gotten to PFF yet. We'll look at a couple of the different uh, interesting little notes there. And and also, if you guys want to start asking questions, I know um, at this point it's kind of becoming a tradition that when the grades are released, I go on Twitter and and release some of the information. It's kind of a fun fun thing. But some of the guys are asking questions or whatever, and there, there are a lot of specifics. And at this point, last year I used to go through, like, line for line. I don't really like doing that, first of all, because I don't think it's fair to PFF. But also I think it's kind of boring. But if, if there are specific questions, and I think there's a lot of really good questions, um, feel free to ask. We can maybe do that kind of as a Wednesday thing. Uh, if I don't address it today, what are some specifics? And it could be about the game, about the season, about whatever. It could be about other teams. I don't know, other players you want to compare to. Upcoming, you know, Bears, whatever. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. But we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so we'll start with the uh, the offense overall. I would say the... Yeah, that's not probably more true with the defense. There was a good pile of guys that got graded out fairly well. There really wasn't anybody that had a super high overall grade, though. It was kind of, there were five guys that graded out as good. You could say six. We'll call it six. It was close enough. Um, But it was just sort of a meh overall performance. And there were about probably half the team was at least below average. Only two were bad one being kind of really bad and it's it's another one that's going to really upset me this, this is one of the ones where the fan base and pff are completely at odds the fan base loves the guy they think he's great um and, and maybe he is i'm not necessarily saying he's not i'm just giving you pff's perspective on this and well i don't want to give too many well all right i will offensive line especially is the most contentious people say you don't know the scheme and all that you can't judge offensive line whatever so fine but, I mean, it's just, it's on one hand, it's just glowing and love, and, and PFF has just got very little good to say about the guy, especially recently. But we'll, we'll start there. It was Elton Jenkins. He was the lowest-graded offensive player, maybe overall player. He had a pass-blocking grade of 28, 
and a run blocking grade of 42, 39 overall. We'll get to the specifics in terms of pressures given up and all that, but one of the big issues right now is the inability to run block, and it's it's really, it hasn't been good anywhere. I mean, the only guy who had a really good run blocking grade was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and that's what Coach talked about and a lot of people talked about, how good he's been doing run blocking and how impactful he's been. Um, of the four guys that graded out not horrible, um, you got Marquez and Jay Sternberger in the mix. The only two offensive linemen that did a decent job were David Bakhtiari and Billy Turner. So the interior of our offensive line, according to PFF, just not doing their job. And again, this is not that good of a defensive line. I mean, Buckner's solid, but you should be able to push guys around. But anyways, the we'll call it six. The six guys that graded out um, as, as good, 70s, in order. David Bakhtiari, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Jay Sternberger, and Billy Turner. And I know some people look at it and go, I don't know what you're talking about with Aaron Jones. But again, running the ball is broken into offensive line and running back. Aaron Jones has not graded out very well in a very long time. PFF has not liked his effort. They did like this game, meaning in their perspective, a lot of the running game issues have come down to Aaron Jones. This is not one of those situations. He did the best he could possibly do. The offensive line failed. That's their perspective. Um, The other guy that graded out poorly, um, but not quite as bad as Elton, was Robert Tanyan. So a good day for Jace, which is great. Uh, Tanya, not great. Everybody else was, you know, 60s or 50s. We don't need to super elaborate on all that. Uh, Specifics along the offensive line, David Bakhtiari continues to dominate as a pass blocker. Um, 84 overall grade, very, very solid. He did allow one hurry in the game. In total, um, PFF had them down for zero sacks, zero hits, nine hurries. Uh, the second the second best, and, and let's say there are three guys who graded out as good in pass blocking, Jamal Williams, Corey Lindsley, and Mercedes Lewis. That's not great, right? Where's the offensive line? So we already established that the run blocking wasn't great, but the pass blocking now, we've got David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley, and then a running back and a tight end. Well, John Runyon, who has graded out very poorly basically every week, he's another guy that everybody likes, including me. I like his somewhat upside. PFF has never liked anything he's ever done. Just not good. Uh, Lucas Patrick, horrific pass blocking grade, and again, Elton Jenkins. So Runyon was in the 40s, Lucas in the 30s, Elton Jenkins in the 20s. Um, Breaking down the specifics, Billy Turner actually allowed three hurries. That was the most on the team. John Runyon allowed two, Lucas Patrick allowed one, Elton Jenkins allowed two. Run blocking, I already mentioned MVS and Billy Turner were in the 70s. Jace and David Bakhtiari were very close. Almost everybody else was rated about 60-ish, some in the low 50s. Uh, The two guys that graded out really terribly, Elton Jenkins and Robert Tanyan. If you look at the rest of the offensive line as a whole, we'll go from left to right. Um, David Bakhtiari, really good pass blocker, pretty solid run block. If you look at our left guard, John Runyon, um, bad pass blocking, below average run block, and allowed two hurries. Center, um, you got Corey Lindsay and Elton Jenkins. Corey Lindsley, solid pass blocking, subpar run blocking. Elton Jenkins, putrid pass blocking, bad run blocking. Right guard, Lucas Patrick, putrid pass blocking, subpar run blocking. Uh, Right tackle, average pass blocking, good run blocking. Overall, that's not great, right? And and again, yeah, it's a good defense and all that, but they're not not a good pass rushing team, right? So that's it's one thing to be a good overall defense in terms of the points you give up, the yards you give up, and all that. It's another thing to identify the specifics and say this: the defensive line is not super elite, um, and you should expect slightly better than that. Um, 
It's just, I, I, and, and again, they are better than that. And they, they, they'll decide to show up some other week, but really could have used them this week. And, and again, it's just, they just decided not to. I'm speaking in generalities, but it should have been better as a unit. I'm going to skip over running uh, just because there's nothing overly interesting there. Both Jamal and Aaron uh, graded out positively in their run grades, which is encouraging because we haven't seen a lot of that. I mean, just guys have not been grading out great as runners in general this year. Um, Interestingly enough, receiving grades, different than overall grades, specifically in terms of receiving, Aaron Jones was graded as our number one receiver. He had four receptions on four targets for 30 yards, 7.5 yard average. Longest was uh, 14 yards, had one first down, and one avoided tackle. Devontae Adams was the second highest, seven receptions on nine targets, 106 yards, and a touchdown, 15.1 yards per reception. Five of those were first downs. That's just what he's really magical at, including one avoided tackle. 152.8 passer rating when targeted, which is just incredible. Then next you had Jace, who definitely had a good day. I mean, if you want to give somebody else a little bit of credit, uh, Jace stepping up was great. I mean, anytime you have a bad day and you see certain guys step up, that's that's good to me. What I don't like is when there's a bad day and guys just fall off, right? Because they're, they're, they're feeding off of the, the negative stuff. You need people that can rise above that. And, and we know Devontae doesn't care. He shows up no matter what. Um... Aaron, Jace, it's, again, it's just it's good to see certain guys just not feeding off of that and just going out and playing their best. Um, nobody had a really, really bad receiving grade, but uh, Jamal, Tanyan, uh, MVS, and Alan Lazard all in the 50s, which is below average. Flipping over to the defensive side, um, you've already heard by now Rashawn Gary was the highest graded guy, the only one in the 80s for the entire team, 80.9 overall. This is the second week in a row that he's graded out well, which is not a small accomplishment considering uh, PFF has not been his biggest fan. Um, his two best games of the year came in, come in week 10 and 11. If you look at his overall for the year, 60s, so I'll, I'll just round it, 60s, 50s, 50s, 40s, 60s, 30s, 50s, 79.7, So basically two 80s in a row. Prior to this, his highest grade was a 65. So these, these are massive jump. Um, basically three weeks in a row he's been over... Um, his pass rush percentages have been solid, despite the lack of, of total snap counts, which we'll get to in a moment. But if you go back three weeks ago against San Francisco, he had two pressures but only had 16 attempts. That's 12.5%, which is solid. Week 10 against Jacksonville, he had seven pressures on 22 attempts, which is roughly 33%, which is remarkable. 30, 31.8. And then this past week, he had four pressures um, on 21 attempts, which is 19%, which is incredible. So on the year right now, he's at 12.86%, so 12.9%, which is very respectable. I mean, getting up to 13% is is uh, the, the high end of good, just my own little scale I built in my mind, right? You, you get above 13%, you're, you're, you're really heading in the right direction. And he, and he is, right? That's just the last three weeks in a row have really pushed him up uh, quite a bit. That isn't to say he isn't going to have down weeks. Of course he is, just like everybody is. But what we want to see is more consistently good with, with spouts of bad as opposed to bad with spouts of good. Last year, he didn't have any games in which he played two good games in a row. He had four total games in which PFF said he was good. Week 1 against Chicago. Week 7 against Las Vegas. Week 15 again against Chicago. Good sign that two of his good games last year came against Chicago. Um and then against Seattle were his four good games of the season, according to PFF. Um, and some of those were statistically not even very good games. Against Las Vegas, it was just dominant against the run. He didn't have a single pressure, which is not great. So I wouldn't even want to give him credit for that. 
In fact, if you look at it, and I understand his snaps are up quite a bit, but I mean, his best game statistically was two pressures last year. Again, it's it's hard to do much more than that when you're when you're getting single digits and and, and in the teens in terms of attempts. But it it was either zero one or two pressures on the entire season. This year, it's been three four zero one one zero two seven four. If you look at just the past three weeks, he's at twenty two percent. That's 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 Aaron Donald on a good day numbers or a, a good year. I don't know if he's ever been at that. And, and again, I'm not expecting that to be sustained. But we're we're taking a three week sample size. And it's not just a random three weeks, it's the last three weeks. So no question the last three weeks have been fairly dominant for Rashawn Gary. So that's that's a that's a positive, and we should be excited about that. Again, I don't know the trajectory, I don't know what's going to happen, but he's getting an increased role. Right, He went from single-digit single pass rush attempts to maybe upwards of 17. This year his low has been 9, his high has been 35. Those are just his pass rush attempts, not necessarily his overall attempts. But it's it's definitely going up. And while we're on the subject, I think one thing that Packer fans are starting to agree on, aside from the people that just absolutely despise Rashawn Gary, who are in a real tough spot right now in terms of what it is they want to do, because God forbid they give any credit or credence to Rashawn Gary, but Rashawn Gary was our highest graded player this year. He had 36 attempts or this year, this week. Preston Smith was the lowest graded player, uh, possibly Elton Jenkins. I don't remember what the grade was, but he had a 35 overall grade. He had 66 attempts. So we're in a position right now where one of the guys getting more snaps than just about anybody um, along that defensive line, a, a starter, Preston Smith, is just, I mean, it, it's he's bottoming out. I mean, it's it's been bad this whole year. And, and again, I thought last year he was overrated. His grades were never that good. It's why I expected a massive regression from him. I didn't expect it to be this bad. His best game was against Jacksonville. He had a 72 overall grade. His current uh, overall is a 53. He has 15 pressures on 230 attempts. That's 6.5%. That's that's horrific. I mean, that's that's Nick Perry. That's really bad. He had one pressure on 25 attempts this past week. That's, you know, 4%. He's, I mean, he, so remember what I said about Rashawn in his rookie year. He had almost no opportunities, but he had either one or two or zero um, pressures, which, which the numbers aren't even that bad. If you get one or two and you get 10 attempts, that's great. Preston's getting zero, one or two this year, and he's getting uh, minimum 10 attempts. In, in that game in which he had 10 attempts, he had zero pressure. Maximum, he had 40 pass rush attempts. In that game, he had two pressures. The only game he had more than zero, one, or two was against Jacksonville. He had four. So 15 pressures on 230 attempts, only two sacks on the season. So the, the issue clearly is we need to see more of Rashawn and less of Preston. Rashawn is holding the edge better, right? He was dominant on the edge, I think, this past week. I, that was clear to me. Um, watching the game. I mean, the, the amount of times that the edge actually got held, which is noticeable now because we've been real soft on the edge and seeing Rashawn as the guy that's there. One play in particular actually sticks out in my mind in which he held the edge. In other words, you want to be on the outside, right? So you want to cut him back to the inside. So when the runner, he did a great job sealing the edge, the runner cuts to the inside to try to go to Rashawn Gary's what would be because he was on the right side, his inside shoulder between the tackle and guard. Rashawn actually goes from the right side of the tackle because he's holding that edge, pushes the guy off from, goes to the left side of the tackle now and makes the tackle on the running back. That's that's next level stuff. That's not even necessarily his job in my opinion, you know, who am I to talk? But your job is to seal the edge. That gap between tackle and guard should be somebody else. He said, "No, nah, I got this." He shifted from outside left shoulder of the tackle to in or yeah, you know, yeah, outside right shoulder, whatever, to the inside and makes the tackle. I mean, he just he just dominates the guy in front of him. 
that's that's a really, really solid play. The issue, though, as I've said, is that I do think Rashawn and Preston are different players. Not that that's a bad thing. What am I talking about? Well, we drop Preston into coverage a lot. Uh, Preston Smith has got, I mean, he's, he's dropped into coverage every single game, sometimes as many as 17 times, like in Detroit. Rashawn Gary has been in coverage three times all year. So, again, I understand the fans are looking, listening to this saying, so what? Good. I don't ever want to see an edge rusher drop into coverage again. But I, I just I think it's going to cause Pettin to be slow to move Rashawn because they're going to want a guy that provides that level of whatever, right? I mean, he's sort of the Kyler Fackrell type. Obviously, he's a completely different build, but you got the guy who can pass rush, who can run defend, but maybe he's going to drop, right? You never know. I just think that's going to slow it down. Now, at the end of the day, you got to have a transition plan because I don't think there's any way in which Preston's here next year and Rashawn doesn't take over that spot. So either we teach Rashawn to drop, please don't, or we give up that dream, figure out a plan B, and just have Rashawn and Zadarius go after people and let somebody else drop. Let, let another, you know, okay, so you're not being as deceptive. Oh, shucks. You're not going to trick a 15-year veteran when you drop an outside linebacker. Oh, no. Can't believe that didn't work. I bet he never saw that coming. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure 38-year-old Philip Rivers has never seen that one before. You really got him. Anyways, I really got to pick up the pace here. The other guys that graded out well, Kamal Martin was number two. Really solid from Kamal. I mean, he's had some really, really good games. It hasn't been perfect. Um, week one was his best game. We, we, or I shouldn't say week one. His first week in week seven, really solid. 77 overall. His next two were, were quiet in terms of he didn't grade out super well, but he came back again with a 78. So, so again, similar to Rashawn, we just want to see bunches of the good, right? You expect some bad, but, but keep that up. And, and for a rookie to even have any good games, it's not a given. Certainly a fifth-round linebacker that everybody thought was overdrafted. To come in and be 50% of the time to be one of the best players on defense, um, that's pretty solid. we got to clean up. You know, you don't want to see 50s, but still, I mean, just just incredible. And really, even the coverage. I mean, the uh, the worst coverage grade he's had all year, granted it was, it was a 60, and it was only a 60 because he only did it once and basically it was a negligible thing, so they just give him a 60. But the fact is, that was his worst, meaning every time he's given considerable snaps, he's actually been positive. He had a 68 overall grade in, in week one, a 75 in week two, and a 65 in week 11. Sorry, I keep saying one and two. It's seven, eight, and 11. Those were the numbers. Overall right now, he's a 70.1 overall, which if I had more time, I'd look it up. I'd bet he's one of the best rookie linebackers in football right now, still. His uh, run defense grade is a 60, so it's average. He had two dominant games against the run and two bad. That's kind of the, the iffy thing. Tackling grade is a 70. Three really good games and one really bad one against Minnesota, so that kind of negates it, but 81, 73, and 78 were the three good games. Pass rush has never been there. Who cares? He's a linebacker. He's done it once every game, except Minnesota was four times. And his coverage is a 73.6 overall. I mean, he's he's been more than adequate. I, again, it's, it's way too small of a sample size. We'll see what happens. I like the guy. I didn't like him as a draft pick. I like what I see, and, I, and PFF doesn't hate the guy. Um, number three was Darnell Savage, another guy that was noticeably positive. Usually you don't really see him, and when you do, he's not really doing what you want. But this is two weeks in a row now we've seen the makeup speed make a difference, where he's not really there, and he turns on the Jets, and he goes and makes a play. So that's that's what I'm talking about when I say that that, that, that type of speed makes a difference. If you draft a guy that's just a fundamental solid football player but doesn't have Darnell Savage speed, those are just caught. 
this is where a guy like Darnell Savage can take it to the next level. If you can turn him into a solid football player, meaning 90% of the time he's just doing his job, and then that extra 10% where it takes a special sort of player to make a play, he can make those as well. And that's what takes a guy over the top. We're still waiting for Darnell Savage to kind of turn the corner. He's similar to Rashawn. It's been more bad than good. This is his best game of, of, uh, of the year, which has been a rocky year for sure. But um, by far his best coverage grade. And it's just, it's positive stuff. You know, I, I would have liked to see a better rookie year. I would like to see certainly a better second year. I think he's taken a step back this year. But um, I'll, I'll take the small wins, especially as we get closer to the end of the season. And in his second year, um, his second best game was last year, or last week. I can't, I'm done. I'm toast. I, I actually am way over time right now. But so it's similar to Rashawn, his best two weeks this year, although week 10 was kind of an average game, but it's still his second best. It's encouraging, right? He's 23 years old. He's 23. You know, as much as we want it now, we got time to, to groom the guy, for him to, to learn some stuff and to get better. And, and the confidence is there, and the plays are getting made. And, I'm, I mean, the, the last two weeks, the passer rating when targeting Darnell Savage, 39.6, the last two weeks in a row. Three targets, zero receptions. Three pass breakups. Three targets, three pass breakups. That's 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 unheard of. Actually, I can I can... That's actually the last four targets. He's been targeted four times the last three weeks, and they've been four pass breakups. That's absolutely absurd. Completely, totally, absolutely absurd. Just saying, positive sign doesn't mean he's going to be a great Hall of Famer. doesn't mean any of that, but that's that's a great sign. Uh, after Darnell was Adrian Amos, also had a very good game. I'm really starting to love that guy, especially, I mean, when, when there's a play to be made in the backfield, he's always the guy. It's really incredible what he's done. 87 overall tackling grade. He's been... I mean, if nothing else, he has been a solid run defender for, for the last couple weeks now. Uh, but also his coverage grade was, was great. So Amos is stepping up. I've, I've talked about how I'm not super excited about what Amos has done this year as, as the whole defense has gone back. His best two weeks, take a guess, the last two weeks. So, I mean, we can complain about a lot of stuff, but the fact of the matter is this defense has come alive the last couple weeks. We've seen Zadarius wake up. We've seen Rashawn wake up. We've seen uh, Darnell and Amos wake up. We've seen Kenny, who is number five on this list, wake up. Kenny was dominant last week as a run run defender, but not so much as a pass rusher. This week, four pressures. There were 12 pressures in the game, four from Rashawn, four from Kenny, two from Zadarius, one from Tyler Lancaster, one from Preston Smith. That's it. So one, one, two, and then Rashawn and Kenny had four. So we're starting to see the awakening of Kenny a little bit. Uh, the other guy that was in the 70s was Tyler Lancaster. Big man in the middle was making some plays. He did have, as I mentioned, one of the pressures of the week. Also did a solid job uh, in run defense. Guys that were below average or worse, Randy Ramsey. Only three snaps, so it's not that big of a deal. Kingsley Kiki, I'm willing to give him a little bit of slack. And that's kind of one of the negative things, right? You start to see the positive. Kingsley, Kingsley, Kingsley. He's been so good for so long, and he just had a bad day. It happens. But he's got to rebound from that because I don't want I don't want the good to be a fluke. I want this to be a fluke. So next week is going to be important for Kingsley, in my opinion. Ty Summers was graded out poorly in the high 40s, but again, only three snaps, so I'm willing to give him a break. And then again, Preston, um, by far the worst. He had 54 for Randy Ramsey, 49 for Kingsley, 48 for Ty Summers, 35 for Preston. Terrible. Um, very, very quickly. Run defense. Kamal Martin and Rashawn in the 80s. Chandon, Kirksey. Jair, Kevin King, Dean Lowry, Darnell Savage, Tyler Lancaster, lots of guys all in the 70s. Raven Green was the one really bad uh, run defense grade. Tackling, Amos and Chandon were 80s, extremely good. Jair, Kamal, 
Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, Kirksey, Ty Summers, and I'll even give it to Dean Lowry, all good tackling grades. The terrible tacklers, Kiki and Lancaster. Pass rush, Billy Wynn. He only had three attempts, <laughs> and he didn't get any pressures, but PFF loved those three attempts. Go back and watch them for yourself, I guess, to see what they liked. I don't know what happened. He must have just killed a guy. And because he runs a, a 5'7", I'm making that up, but he probably just didn't get to the quarterback fast enough to, to make it matter. But, I mean, he, he made an impact. We saw the batted pass, and he I mean he was making stuff happen. So kudos to him. The only other guy that was even in the 70s was, was Tyler Lancaster. Nobody was really, really bad. It was either 60s, uh, from high 60s to low 50s from, from there on coverage. Uh, Raven Green, Darnell Savage, and Adrian Amos, uh, kudos to the safeties. Those are the three guys that graded out really well. All three safety. The only guy that graded out really poorly was Preston Smith. Go figure. So there you go. That's uh, Obviously, there's a lot more information, but I'm out of time. And again, if you have specific questions, hit me with them, and maybe I'll go over it tomorrow. We can look at it, but i got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.